Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, we leap into March with a fresh, rich, and belilly episode full of topics, including Don't Chum the Waters and Not Expect Sharks, The Wild Adventure of Abolitionist John Brown in Pre-Civil War Kansas, The Even Crazier Tale of the One in a Billion Life of Bill Richmond, Beatings on the Senate floor, the dancing plague, and facing the fact that sometimes you just have to live with the mystery. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, da da. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode one hundred and seventy-six. They just keep ticking by. It's a Rich and Bellelli episode, and to make it easier. There's Daniela Bolelli right across from me. That usually day, helps for being a Rich and Bolelli episode. If, it makes it easier. You know, otherwise, if you have to play both roles, running from one side of the table to the other and having an Italian accent. That would be kind of interesting. Do you have to put the mic side by side? Yeah. Oh. I remember as a kid being very bummed when I didn't have anybody to play ping pong with and mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to run. I actually did a few things where I would throw the ball really slow and run to the other side and throw it back and... Sad but funny. Did you not have the capacity to fold up the? Cause I did ours, that too. It's not nearly as nowhere near as fun. No, not as fun. It's definitely. Not. So there was something fun about throwing the ball and doing it slow enough and precise enough that you can run around the table and throw it back the other way without losing. But in any case, yes. Enough with my sad, uh, sorrowful tales of a lonely childhood. <laughs> he made and, it. Uh, let's instead thank some good folks, starting with. On it, O-N-N-I-T. Uh, thank you guys so much for sponsoring the show. Uh, check out onnit.com forward slash Taoist. You get a discount on some of their products. They are absolutely awesome. I'm actually currently in dire need of an alpha brain. Ooh. Did you have, uh, you got the box last time. Did you get to play with it lately? I, I think it's great. I think it's yep. better than any energy drink. Yeah, totally. And... Um, it's sweet because I'm not sh- used to that, but yeah, that's the I think that's the biggest complaint I have. And uh, it reminds me like the the emergencies and things like that. It bubbles up nicely. You know, and, I get weird, but I actually like the taste. Oh, no, and it's also, not a bad taste I'm all. good with sweets, so it's I'm actually a little too good with sweets. And I'm, we've got some I'm, of the shroom tech going right now too, so we'll see how that works. Yeah, so check out onnit.com forward slash Taoist. They have a whole bunch of good stuff. Please support them. Also, big thank you to grasslandbeef.com for sending us some good stuff to feed us. Their products are amazing. We have Uh, one of those Instapots now, so you can do a roast in like 90 minutes. So check them out. They make quite delicious roasts. Most definitely. It helps. And, of course, sure design T-shirts with the coolest, funkiest T-shirts on the planet, including our own Drunken Taoist uh, 
four of them we got the of four different designs so that's also a big plus um i guess regular shout outs to snow roast coffee uh code tau18 for a 15 percent discount if you guys drink coffee these are sweet folks who make their small batch coffee in colorado good quality sweet listeners to the show so better to get the coffee from them than from somebody else hell yeah and a shout out to nevertapgear.com um i dig them a lot they are really sweet they help out savannah they make good products so if you train jujitsu in particular check out nevertapgear.com having said all that let the ranting begin let's jump into this Is about a moment. moment. Boom, boom, boom. Yes, indeed. Let's have a couple. So she had the school project where I think it was Black History Month. She had to research the biography of a famous African American. Who did she select? And so she picked Jack Johnson, as in three part series on uh, History on Fire. Jack Johnson, first heavyweight champion of the world in boxing first black heavyweight champion of the world in boxing. And uh, one of the questions that she had to answer was what made this person famous slash infamous, because some people can pick some weird characters. So it's open-ended. He's uh, is a fiction for, uh, I mean, for white women, of course. Yeah, Isabella asked, can I mention in class how he beat up white men for a living and that sex with lots of white women? And I was like... Let me get the principal on speed dial and let's work on that. Sure, <laughs> by all means, I say what you need to say. But so that was epic. And another word, like I sometimes really enjoy seeing how our brain works. A um, couple of months ago, we were hanging out by the beach, we're listening to the waves and all of that. And this tells me when I was playing with the waves. I kept imagining the ocean had a personality and was talking to me. We kept interacting and playing with each other. And then she goes, I know the ocean is not alive in that way, but it was, fine. It was fun to pretend. But then she stops for a second and she's thinking, right? And then she goes like, but maybe it is alive and has a personality. We humans don't know shit. So maybe, you know, and I loved it that she wasn't like hardcore settled one way or another. She was kind of like, eh, we don't really know that much. So... Could be. I had fun with it. That's the most important thing. The fact that she realizes, eh, they don't know that much. Right? There was something on TV. What was it? it was something in the 70s. Oh, it was um, our good pal Jim Jones. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why. we're Maybe there's a, is there an anniversary of it or something? I don't know. For some reason, sure. it had been around. And Gretchen and I were talking. I was like, I was like seven when that happened. Right. And I just remember, you know, and it was hundreds of people. Like, it was the biggest... Yeah, if you guys are unfamiliar, check out. That's where the expression, don't drink the Kool-Aid, come from. Yeah. Jim Jones and the People's Temple in Guyana. Um, gigantic mass suicide. Well, suicide to a point, because some people yeah. didn't really have much there of a choice. There were many folks that got injected. Yeah, and so 900 people... Crazy. Humongous event. And by the way, if, uh, oh, if you haven't checked it out, there's uh, Daryl Cooper from... Uh, 
What's the podcast I can pronounce? Martyr Maid. Yes, thank you, Rich. You Maybe that's what it was. Oh, that's why I was like, I listened to that. You listened to that, okay. He released an episode like a few days ago that's seven hours long. I didn't like, listen to all of it yet. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm an hour and a half in and I feel like he just said hello so far. Yeah. I'm just like, he goes, he doesn't mess around, you know. And, and that series, by the way, is already... I forget how many episodes in one episode he didn't even mention Jim Jones at all. It's like all the history of the civil rights movement to put it in context. Sure. So yeah, there really is something else when it comes to when it comes to history. The, the Prophet Show was the same thing because this guy initially gathers twenty five hundred people and leads them to Israel. Mm. And of course, there's two kids with their machine guns there when they show up and insanity begins yeah i mean and that same sort of mention is like you know when you get these kind of cult numbers together right terrible things can happen yeah because that's the thing when you have uh that's the trippy thing about jim jones because the stuff that's weird about it is like how could people and not just all you know crazy because it's easy to say ah crazy cultist whatever no there are a bunch of people who are nice smart people how do you jump on board on something like that? And I think that's what Daryl is doing well, that he's showing the... The groundswell. Yeah, I mean, if you were black in the 1950s and 1960s, how horrendous things could be, yep. and how there weren't that many people kind of helping you keep your ass safe. You mean LBJ um, wasn't down there helping everybody? Not quite, and so... <laughs> And so it, you, you kind of see how it works out that way. And sure. then, you know, hey, this guy has our back. Yeah, he's a little eccentric, but hey, at least he's doing something for us. And then you, you build, oh, man, it's, it's really trippy. But yeah, Daryl hasn't even gotten to the part where stuff really goes south. But how did they move man. from California to Africa? That couldn't have been achieved. No, that one was South America. Was That's Indiana. what it was. Yeah. Okay. But still, it's still a big deal. You know, it's still a humongous journey, right? Yeah. Um, and you know you're not moving ten people; you're moving almost a thousand, like a thousand people. I think I thought he was saying Ghana. Yeah, <laughs> Guyana. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Okay, how do you pronounce it? Ghana. As far no, as no. A, French Guyana. Guyana. Okay. But my, uh, my pronunciation has no, much no. It may be because I never heard it in English. I only heard it in Italian, where they pronounce it Guyana. Oh. And so okay, that's kind of like, more fun to say. So I was like, take it a wild guess there, <laughs> and like, let's try to anglicize it and see how it sounds. But yeah, no, that's a crazy story, for sure. For sure. So we got our J's going. Jim Jones, Jack Johnson. Right. We got, uh, this There's no J, but speaking of the Isabella thing of the um, we humans don't know shit, one episode that I'm working on for History on Fire is um, the Dancing Plague of 1518. Uh, did I tell you that story? I'm familiar with it. Probably it had to be you, that they just started dancing. Yeah. There's one lady in Strasbourg, Germany, just walks out of her house and starts dancing. And everybody, people think like, eh, that's a little weird, but whatever. Except she doesn't stop all day and she continues, continues until she passes out. And they're all like, okay, that was a little intense. And she wakes up. Okay, so now she's going to tell us what that was all about. No, she starts dancing again. Wow. And she does it all through the next day and all through the next day. And every time, the only thing that stops her is when she loses consciousness. And then she passed out for a while. Her feet are bloody. She's clearly not. It's compulsive. You know, it's not something she can stop. And okay, weird lady having her weird experience, except that a week later it's 30 people who do that. And then it's 100 and then it's 400. And so you have this humongous 
it seems ridiculous to call it an epidemic, but that's what it looks like, right? But you could, is it just folks that didn't want to go to class or go to the field that day? Well, just- and that's the thing. <laughs> to, I'm sure there were some that were like, ah, what the hell, looks like fun, let's jump in, where it was a choice. But for some, it really wasn't a choice. There was a bunch of these guys dance themselves to death wow. until they have a heart attacks and stop, start falling over, and there's a bunch of them that die. I've been, I know there's been some nights at the club when that Beyonce kicks in. I could dance myself to death. But, yeah, they were saying <laughs> at one point 15 a day were dying. Wow. That's intense, man. What year was this? Uh, 1518. They didn't burn them all as witches? Well, and in fact, oh, this is awesome because the reaction of the local council trying to figure out what's happening. Witches! So, so the first reaction is uh, witches and the local council is like, come on, guys, it's 1518. We are more modern than this. It's not just demon <laughs> possession. Let's ask the doctors. So the doctors are like, it's hot blood. Mm. Your blood heats up to a level and you need to dance it out. So we should actually encourage them to keep dancing, to cleanse themselves from this, uh, you know, medical knowledge of the 1500s. was totally backfires. Not only doesn't solve the problem, but people start dying in high numbers. So then they go back like, okay, let's go back to plan A. It is demon possession. See, I thought so. And, I, I, would say, I think that was a Prince song. Hot blood. Nah, nah, that's what it is. 1518. 1518 uh, fun. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and the whole thing is so weird because, you know, you read the books about it now. And they all try to explain it in a way that sound reasonable. So from there's the ergot poisoning. On the right, they were consuming. But even then, you know, you don't trip for like, Ever. Two weeks in a row without a break, ever. It seems a little intense. And there's just psychology of just group think. There's the whole mass hysteria theory. There's, there are a whole bunch of theories. And some clearly looks like they have more ammo than others. But at the end of the day, I find them all funny because I find them like there's this desperate need to find a rational explanation for something that really seemed to defy conventional thinking in more ways than one and again i'm not looking against looking for explanations that's good that's fine yeah but i'm hesitant where people want to cling to it so bad where they want it to fit where it's like unlike isabella humans don't know shit so maybe then you either convince yourself that the ocean clearly has a personality or clearly doesn't and you know you want a clear-cut answer rather than being able to live with the mystery and I get it. I understand why. I mean, all human life is so steeped into mystery and there's so much shit we don't know about that we wish we knew about. Or maybe we wouldn't when we found out. That's the other option. But um, No, that's, um, that is something peculiar about us that we figure we got to know everything. Yeah. But then you run into the terrible case of those folks that know everything and they got a special book full of all the answers. Of course. That's the whole opposite end of that. I'm with you, man. Live with the mystery. That could be the name of the episode. Well, because I think that's why they do it, right? That's why there's everybody cling so bad, whether it's a religious fundamentalist worldview or whether it's even a scientific materialistic one. Just the idea that my model of reality need to be able to explain everything. And I think a lot of it is due to very understandable existential anxiety. You know, when as human beings, you don't know if there's any meaning in any of the shit you do or if it's all random chaos. You don't know what happens after you die. You don't know if you don't know anything. I mean, the shit that we do know about, that's nice and all. But the big questions in life you are completely clueless about. 
So no wonder that people crave answers. And for lack of good answers, they'll take bullshit answers because, hey, at least it makes me feel clear in my mind. It helps me go about my day in an easier way. But how many people are stuck like that? I mean, everybody has their sort of moment at night as you're drifting off. Yeah. What is it all about? Mm Mm-hmm. Where will we go from here? But does it really affect that many people's lives? Is I, that is that the reason that religion is such a in. part of everything? That it just gives them some comfort? Because I kind of park those questions in the back of my head, and I actually worry more about my kids than I do myself. And maybe that's just the way things pass on. But. Well, but think about that. Sure, in day-to-day life, fine, when everything is fine or where there's a little... But, you know, when people start dying around you, yeah. then you start asking questions because you you can't just say, okay... Joe was here the other day. Joe's dead now. Bye. Scratch him off the phone book. Other than that, whatever. You know, if they are people yeah. close to you. Yeah, Mike Mandela's birthday was last week. Right? So, yeah, crazy yeah, story yeah, Dick, right there. Dick Cheney survives with uh, yeah. that cat's gone. Fucking. And so I think you, <laughs> so, yeah. people ask themselves, that's why, I mean, so much of religion is built on trying to come to terms with death. You know, trying to come to terms with what we don't know. And both your own mortality as well as other people close to you. And, and, you know, the lack of good answers drive us crazy. And I do think that a lot of people, whether consciously or not, and especially as they age and they realize their mortality more so, or people around them start dropping, that becomes a growing source of uh, existential anxiety that's not just for the three seconds before sleep, but it kind of becomes a big deal. So... As you grow older, it grabs you harder. Yeah. Because the, the young people are too crazy just doing whatever because they're not really looking at consequences. They're just living in the moment more than somebody who's 50 and above. Right. But also I think like we say young people, but if you go back a few generations where, you know, you have 10 brothers and sisters and five die of cholera by the time they are three. Yeah. I think that awareness kicks in a lot earlier. And it's more, you know, the fact that there's nothing guaranteed, that there's not like Brady Bunch life that you're going to swim through and you have this idea of, then you realize it's not always that. But, you know, you have better odds of having a Brady Bunch life today than you did uh, 200 years ago. I mean, I read some stories like right now, books in front of you, I'm reading about John Brown. I don't think I know John Brown. John Brown? Oh, my God. Crazy story. John Brown is basically, I wouldn't say he's the guy who started the Civil War, but pretty close. Really? Because uh, he's the guy when uh, there's kind of the Missouri, Kansas, bleeding Kansas story where basically as the U.S. is expanding, abolitionist and pro-slavery forces each try to add one state to right. their side. This territory side. will be ours. So in Kansas, they just go at it. They have uh, hardcore abolitionists go to Kansas because they want it to become a free state. Hardcore proponents of slavery go to Kansas from Missouri because they want it to be a slave state. And the two sides realize that words reach a point where they don't quite deliver what they want and they just turn really bloody. And John Brown is probably gets the rap for being the first white guy who openly and unashamedly will use violence to go after pro-slavery forces. Wow. So he flat out, I mean, according to some, they see him as a terrorist. Others see him as a hero. One Others, man's terrorist right? is another man's freedom fighter. But yeah, he would go out, place hits on uh, pro-slavery guys and just flat out murder the hell out of them. 
and then he organizes this group that goes into the south with this really not very well put together plan to start a slave rebellion in the south mm. so he goes with 50 guys or whatever many i forgot and they go do a raid at harper's ferry try to start a slave rebellion feel miserably they are captured brown get, gets hanged and when is um when they execute him you know in the south he's considered the scum of the earth sure. right in the north they have state funerals for him as a hero wow. and uh, this all and he was probably mildly crazy but um he was also a guy who was really against slavery and uh, but there's a badass line where they are about to execute him and they ask him kind of for any last words and he's there with this mob of white supremacists just spitting hatred through their eyes in every which way they want to see him die and he's looking in the distance and he goes like something like you guys have a really beautiful country out here and uh wow yeah and they hung him yeah and uh, but in any case moral of the story the reason why i brought him up is because you read his biography much like one i just did the sitting bull biography and he's like and then in 1855, his third kid died. Uh, by the end of 1855, his fifth kid also died. And then two years later, this other one uh, caught this. And, you know, you see the amount of grief that anybody who makes it through a certain age would go through back then. And it's insane. I mean, it's kind of like it's amazing that anybody would function because it's like you have multiple spouses, not usually just one. Come on, why settle with that? You're not going to survive childbirth that many times. And then you're going to have the ones, the kids, even worse. And it's just so fucking heavy. You know, you realize that human life in many times in history has been, you know, the kind of stuff that we all deal with, but hopefully a little bit here and there. It was, I wouldn't say the daily norm, but, something constant that would happen every few years you got something major like that happening wow so ptsd to the 300 degree you know forget the one tragedy in your life it's like this year i only had three that wasn't so bad and <laughs> jesus yeah that's amazing <clears throat> once again do we have it way too easy now i know it's easy to complain but i mean isn't poverty the lowest it's ever been on a global scale and well, and that's another thing that's trippy, because on one end, you hear the idea that trauma from previous generations can affect the DNA of modern generations. When you consider what history looks like, yeah. it's amazing that anybody functions today. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, it seems interesting that people dealt with massive amount of shit everywhere all the time. And it seems like today in some of the best places on earth in terms of quality of life, suicide rates are off the charts. And so there seemed to be something there that maybe, maybe it's my theory, right? Is the, I remember using that line way back when in an early drunken Taoist episode where I say, uh, nobody's depressed in the middle of a marathon. Because, and it's not that you don't have reasons to be depressed, but I got to fucking run right now. There's no stopping. There's no considering, hey, by way, my feelings. No, there's none of that. It's like, keep running. That's it. And so maybe when you are surrounded by all this trauma and bullshit and stuff, it's not that it's not affecting you, but you are so involved into... We got to harvest that corn. Exactly. Or we all die. Yeah. And so there's a team is dead. It really sucks. I'll cry over it, but I still need to go out and harvest the corn, you know? 
Whereas when you don't have that and you do have time to sit around and get in touch with those emotions more, they also hit you harder in some way. I mean, I'm not advocating denial as a strategy because that comes with its own problems. Yeah, it'll but catch you, up with you. Totally. But you, but, but you die at 35 anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't have that much time to catch up with you. Wow, that's all fascinating. Yeah. It's, uh, and in fact, it does raise some question about uh, where we are. I mean, I think we were talking about it before, uh, before the episode, before we started recording. You know, one of, our, one of our idols, we have used their music occasionally for our thing. Nature G, let me try to even pronounce his name because that would be challenging. Nature Gangan Baigal. That's a hell of a name. It sounds pretty good. Frontman of Tangar Cavalry, great Mongolian folk music, um, metal slash folk. I saw them playing live uh, at the end of 2018, right around the corner from here. Oh. Tiny little venue, but they were amazing. They were really cool. I love their music. They have, and you know, the dude uh, in June, just a few months after uh, after I saw them play died slash I mean they don't announce it's suicide but it's pretty much obvious to anybody who read the story that that's probably what happened because he had a previous suicide attempt he was discussing a lot regarding you know mental health issue and heavy depression and all of that no cause of that is listed they found him in his very young guy so he's like okay that's probably what it looks like and you think about it and he's like, Jesus, man, you know, you listen to his music. He's so energy driven, so great in a lot of ways. Yeah, alive. Yeah, what the fuck? You know, really what the fuck? think about stuff like and we you know we talked about it both because my own issues but also we're talking more in general about you know the cases like Bordwain or people like that who from the outside they have it good they have it way better because I mean Nature G he had you know he's a great musician and all but he was working his ass off to make it in a cutthroat business he had problems with like one of his labels was holding on to the rights to his music and so he couldn't have his music back which I'm sure would kill him in a lot of ways then, you know, he's dealing with, it's a hard business to make it creatively as an artist, as a musician. That's not easy at all. No. So despite some degree of fame, he's not like he was uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers or, Bordeaux. you know, he's not like he's selling out 50,000 people stadiums kind of thing. So he had more struggles. But yeah, we, you think about the examples that are even more dramatic, the Bordeaux kind of thing, people who have it all from the outside and yet you know, clearly there's something that's not enough. Uh, it makes you wonder. Yeah, but it makes you wonder too because, and this is a theme that I hammered on before and I think, you know, we may have 
brought it up before in the podcast. Like one thing in the Bordwain case that drives me nuts is the um, not only the success, that's fine. You can be successful and miserable. The daughter. Yeah, that's rough, you know. But then again, I think all the assholes commenting about, oh, he just didn't have the guts or he didn't, that was so selfish. Like You got to put your feet in somebody else's moccasins for sure at that point because I, you know, I really looked into it when that happened. Right. I thought the same thing. You think the daughter would be enough by itself. But what I read is when you're in that hole. Right. It's so dark you think everything you do damages everybody around you. Yeah, it makes and, it worse. Everyone right. will be better off without you. And I also just recently heard like that decision is in a five to eight minute pocket. Right. Where it's I'm gonna quick, do it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why the uh handgun folks tend to always get it right. Yeah, that's why my thing I've had a few people telling me I'm gonna kill myself, right? Friends, where of course it's a complete like it, it, that becomes a real child. How are you going to reply well, to that? Well, especially what are they doing to you at that point? They're putting that on your shoulders, which is fine. Which is fine, but I mean that's my standard answer because no, you're not. No, that's the thing. It's like <laughs> I'm not even going there because the thing that somebody will be mad about is when you tell them. Uh, when you try to paint it rosy, look, life is great, then they're going to be really invested in proving how life sucks, right? Mm -hmm. Or you tell them, you don't have, you're not going to do it. It's like challenge. It's like everything you can do there is bad. My standard thing is like, okay, I get it. I'm not in your shoes. So maybe that is the right choice. But do me a favor, just to make sure that it's the right choice. Sleep on it. (laughs) Three months. You know, if in three months you still feel exactly the the way you do right now, okay, now let's talk about it. But you know, when you are talking about the end of your life, three months don't really mean that much. You know, you've been alive um, unless there are ISIS coming to torture you in three minutes, where then you have a decision to <laughs> ma- be made right now whether you want to live or not. If that's not the scenario, three <clears throat> months are not going to be it. You know, you can take three months. You've taken a lot of shit before. You can go through three hard months, and if you still feel that way. Okay, then there's a conversation to be had. But sometimes, and that's the problem of those moods, is that it hits you so hard and they are so, you think that it has always been that way and will always be this way. And often it's not. There are kind of peaks and valleys there, right? And so if you are in one of the more intense moments, you would think that this is it, that it's all. A week later, a month later, Maybe it doesn't look as bad anymore. Maybe you're like, yeah, I got shit that I need to deal with, but it's not the end of the universe where I need to kill myself. So that to my standard thing is like, he's not telling you yes or no, because I don't know your life better than you do, but he's asking for a timeout. Give it a lengthy enough timeout that you are 100% sure of your choices. Yeah. And, uh, and I, it's funny because I, not, I remember in one case, the guy was really puzzled because you know, he was expecting... No, there are so many good reasons for leaving. And he was like, rose-colored glasses. And he was like, like thank you, actually, for not trying to tell me that I'm an idiot and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, man, because I, I don't know. Is he still with us? Yeah. Well, there we go. Right? So that's... I, you know, in all these antidepressants <laughs> they pour on people, there doesn't seem to be one of them that doesn't warn about... Side effects, side effects, gonna, and yeah. suicidal thoughts. It's like so. We're just exasper- exacerbating it. 
I'm sorry, I have to. There was Savannah on the side just skipping around, holding Azog the Defiler in her arms. That was the funniest thing. That was definitely. That looked like somebody who does not need antidepressants right no, now. That doesn't look pretty happy. Yeah. We're, we're cutting him down to ATD. Right. Easier to say. <laughs> but, but that's the thing that, like, with the antidepressant stuff, for some people it works really well. Yeah, but how do you know? That's the problem. It's and I know people that have been trying different ones every three years for and, twenty years now. Yep. And it might work for a minute, and then it doesn't work. That's the thing. Like brain, brain chemistry. It's brain chemistry, and yeah, it's not a. It's a delicate game where we don't have hard answers. There, it's so. Why doesn't it work for this person? But you know, works great for the next. All of that, and also some of it is not just chemistry. Some of it is there are emotions, there are traumas that you haven't figured a way around and they continue to affect. And it's not just the chemistry like, oh, I pop the pill and suddenly everything looks amazing. It's, there's unresolved stuff. There are, there are unresolved emotions in there that you're trying to deal with and, and see what's up, you know? So I want to jump back to John Brown for a second. Do the, tell. This sort of country at an impasse. Do you see any shades of that? In our modern time? Of the John Brown. I mean, John Brown is your answers to, is it ever is it ever okay to punch a Nazi? John Brown clearly had his answer. He had no problems with that notion. And I think, I mean, the context is... Um, I just meant the division. Seems yeah, to be people talk a lot of shit right now, for nobody sure. Nobody is going to give. It's not quite to that level where it's as, you know, most people are like, yeah, I care about it, but I also want to go back to watching Netflix. My, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> I don't really care that much about it. You know, I'm not going to die over it. Then again, there's the crazy shooter or the thing. You know, it does happen, but it's very, very at the fringes. Stuff like that boils down to numbers. You know, if the fringes become uh, 5% of the population, then you're screwed. If the fringes remain uh, one every 10 million, then you're okay. Um, hard to tell sometimes. I don't know. I watch these folks marching in there with their masks into D.C. And it's like, first yeah. of all, if you believe in what you're marching for, what's the fucking mask about? Oh, because uh, there's some probably government plot to round us up and send us into FEMA camps run by Kenyans who are going to... You well, know. I feel the same thing about fear of the, the, the Pence re-education forces right. that are probably ready to... Uh, convince you to think otherwise about everything yeah no it's it's tripping i mean there was um there's a case in the senate in the 1850s you know that story you know which one i'm talking about i'm about to find when they when they got bashed a guy in the head with the cane yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. senators yes. you know senators of the united states one dude delivers this really harsh anti-slavery speech very fiery Guy from, I think he was South Carolina, goes up a day later, two days later, and just whacked the guy in the head with a cane. Yeah. His buddy pulls out a gun in the Senate <laughs> to make sure that nobody stops the beating. This guy keeps whacking the hell out of him, beating him bloody. And the only thing that stops the beating, even after the guy passes out unconscious, is that the cane breaks. <laughs> and, you know, the next day you have people in parts of U.S. saying, what barbarity, this is insane, it's horrible. And a bunch of people in the South at the time send, you know, the Kane. guy's house, he started receiving canes by the hundreds saying, this is sturdier, it will help you finish the job. This is teakwood, my friend, it's not going to snap. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> wow. You know, that's when you know you got 
I don't know. All that. I, I feel I've learned so much in the past 10 years, especially when it comes to like reconstruction into Jim mm-hmm. Crow, all the way up to the Civil Rights Act. Yep. And still far from solved. And those folks have been fucked so badly, yet they still seem to have a lot more hope than a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, again, I think it goes back to that. I mean, yes and no, because then you look at life in the ghettos and what it's like. I'm not saying it's great. Right. No, but it also doesn't look like hope is in large amounts. You know, there there is some people push hard, but then there are a bunch of people like, fuck it. Fuck this, just pass me the math and be done with it because this sucks. Well, isn't that crazy how that's everywhere too? Oh, yeah. The the picture we're just showing, you know, which is worse, the guns, the opioids, the meth. Yep. There's a lot of paths. No, it's definitely wild. Um, if we're oh sorry, go ahead. Oh no no, I I was just gonna say, and now we uh, having somebody push to death to the drug dealers. Yeah, because that always. Well, as long as the pharmaceutical heads are first. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Which drug dealers? Right. Yeah. You start with the guys that have uh, literally killed hundreds yeah. of thousands, if not millions, of people. Yeah, that's well, a maybe that will help. <laughs> that's a wild one, the opioid. But I don't think that's uh, going to happen. No, somehow it's the classic thing, right? They have, they have that stuff that seems to make them oh money. That's the, what it is. Yeah, the guy with the gun who goes into a bank to rob it is an evil criminal. The yeah. guy with the bank who robs everyone else through financial dealings, perfectly hey, legal. It's all, uh, and if it's busted for anything, is a slap on the wrist, and <laughs> off you go. Yeah. If, exactly. Nobody went to jail for 2008. Yeah. Actually, somebody along the way told me that some little Chinese firm. Yeah, no, I'm sure you got, you know, the one year when they Look, we got them. Minor stuff. <laughs> but yeah. the Goldman Sachs guy. No, of course. That's just fine. That's how the game works. Tasty track was a piece of Mojave blues from one of our listeners who goes by the handle Wandering Ghost. W A N D R I N underscore Ghost. You can find him at Wandering Ghost on Instagram and Twitter, as well as Spotify. I also really dug his new track, Strawberry Revolution. You want, you want to check that out? He's getting his Dylan out, and uh, it really has quite the message to it. So, anyway, now back with the show. Thanks, Wandering Ghost. Rant away. Here we go. Rant time. It's been a bit. All right. Rant. So this is a bit dated. It goes back to when, um, end of January, when uh, Kobe Bryant died. Um, you have heard uh, Ari Shafir before, right? Yeah. Comedian. Comedian. He's pretty funny. Yeah. Well. At times. <laughs> yeah. I can, that's going to be disproven. Yeah. So, I mean, one of, okay. First, let me read you the tweet. And then we go into the whole thing. So the tweet goes, Kobe Bryant died 23 years too late today. 
He got away with rape because of the Hollywood liberals who attack comedy, enjoy rooting for the Lakers more than they dislike rape. Big ups to the hero who forgot to gas up his chopper. I hate the Lakers. What a great day. Wow. Yeah. That was right the day he died? Yeah. And then, like, he made it, just not satisfied with that, he made a video, so anything of, like, was he hack? Was he not? That was a on video saying all this stuff and so on. And just... And later, when, I mean, his face humongous backlash now right i can only imagine i wouldn't come to la anymore no and uh and he was uh, trying to explain it how did the trial end up i know he was acquitted but did did it turn out it was just a he said she said or was her story dubious which one the girl that was attacked. totally dubious nobody knows you know it's one of those most likely it was sort of an aziz and sorry yeah she probably did go up to fucking him but then when it was over she just changed her mind yeah it's i think she was down and he got kind of rough because that's how you know probably porn idea of how sex should be yeah and then she was like what the fuck and i think that's what happened yeah that was the biggest story in the world a little bit oh yeah totally no, that was a big deal, for sure. All righty. Crazy old Ari Shafir. So his explanation for eventually, you know, not surprisingly, he faced a lot of backlash. His explanation in my mind, well, you be the judge. Here is what he wrote. Every time a beloved celebrity dies, I post some horrible shit about them. I've been doing it for years now. I like destroying gods. And right when a famous person dies, they are their most worshipped. So as a response to all the outpouring of sympathy on social media, I post something vile. It's just a joke. I don't really hate any of the people. And then he goes to explain how no, he's got nothing against Kobe Bryant or anything on a personal level. Okay, let me warm up for this. Um, yeah, I'm still processing. I mean, Let me be diplomatic. I think this is everything that's wrong with comedy and with being a human being. Let me start with that on a diplomatic level. I enjoy comedy deeply. To me, this is not comedy. To me, you know, going into a room screaming, uh, fuck your mama and die, that's not a joke. That's not, again, a joke is subjective, right? Some people will find something funny, some people will not. So I'm not saying, let's be very clear about it. 100% support for right to say what you want, freedom of speech in that regard. In right? that pain, it's yes. Like, <laughs> Like, that's it, you know. Yeah. You are entitled to make shitty jokes. You are entitled to be a bad comedian. That's fine. That's there. Of course, there should be no government law regulating that, or I get that, and I'm completely okay with that part. Yep. The part that I'm not okay with is then to assume that it's just a joke become the get-out-of-jail-free card where you can say whatever you want and not deal with the fact that there will be consequences. And I mean legal consequences. Those, again, shouldn't be. But, you know, it's like, that's just the... First, okay, let's address the comedy part. Like, to me, again, this is... To me, this is the equivalent... Shafir, to me, is like the Westboro Baptist Church of comedians. You know, it's the equivalent of uh, the Westboro Baptist Church showing up at funerals with... uh, God hates facts. Yeah, and all the being glad that so-and-so died or doing that whole thing. It's the same thing to me. It's the same, you know, what, do you give a pass to the Westboro Baptist Church if they say, oh, but it's a joke. If they say that, now it's okay. Well, I mean, everybody encounters that guy, the just kidding guy. Oh, just kidding. Yeah. Oh, just kidding. No, you're not. We heard what you said. 
And also, if it is what you're doing just for humor, and I believe actually Shafir, I think he's honest about that, that the fact that he doesn't have anything personal against these people, that's 10 times worse to me. Because that means that you're not doing it out of because you truly hate this guy, in which case, okay, I get it, there's something personal there. You're doing it to get a rise out of people. You're doing it because your whole shtick is based on being a troll. And if that's what you do, I hate to tell you, but that's, you know, if your whole game is built on, I'm going to just poke some raw nerve in people. At the worst possible moment. Sit back and laugh and go, it's just a joke. What do you think is going to happen? What What do you think? Like, you, you really should feel like, oh, poor me, I'm a victim. You guys are Where'd so sensitive. Where did What is up with that? Where did that? I, I don't get it. There's a... Wow. Let me find it for you. There's a great um, line by good old Robert E. Howard. Stan says, you know, the creator of the character Conan the Barbarian. And... It is one of the gold standards for me. Civilized men are more discourteous than savages because they know they can be impolite without having their skulls split as a general thing. (laughs) Like, I don't know who he grew up around, but a lot of the people and rather unsavory characters that I grew up around you don't need to worry about, you know, government censorship or something if you say something. But if you go to some of these guys and you say, fuck your whore mama. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a response. You're dead. Like, like somebody's going to grab a tire iron and bash your skull in. Now, you can make an argument that it shouldn't be that way. It's like saying sharks shouldn't bite. You know, if your gig is, I'm going to try to get on your nerves to see what happens. And then what happens is that somebody reacts the way you expect some people to react. It's no surprise. That's just the way it goes. That's Now, let's say, okay, let's agree with the fact that, yes, bashing somebody's skull over something they say may not be the best reaction possible. It's understandable at times in some context, but it's not the best reaction possible. But the fact that people who are more civilized than my tire iron friend would say, okay, no, no violent reaction. But uh, this guy sucks so bad and pissed me off so much that I'm going to try to, you know, if he builds his career on this shit, there's going to be a movement of people who want to ruin your career and who actively go after you and letting people know the club so we don't support the shit, blah, 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 blah. And it's like any economic boycott. If there's enough of a a backlash, the people who are paying you suddenly drop you because they're like, yeah, we don't want to deal with all this drama. It's forget it. We don't need trouble in the club. You're going to... And people are like, oh, that's cancel culture and stuff. That's just what people do all the time. Anytime, they, you know, if your gig is to get a rise out of people and your gig is, let's see if I can offend people, don't be surprised when they act as people do when you do get a rise out of them. Feel free to unfollow. Yeah, I'm just like, dude, that's life. And I think this idea that people can troll at will with zero consequences is completely divorced from reality. It's just, you know, you're dealing with, I can poke anybody's stuff, but if they come back at me, that's bad. Oh, yeah. 
we're in, this is the social media stuff, top to bottom. That this insane notion that you could say anything you want to somebody and feel like, oh, it's my right. Totally is your right. But they're going to come back. Yeah, so don't exactly. be upset, man. If you're chumming the water, the sharks will show up. Yeah. And to be surprised by it or shocked that some, I don't know, man. I think, I, 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 it's the phones. It's the, it's the interconnectedness. It's overly. Well, and also. It just seems like it generates this heat that never dissipates now. Just people get more and more worked up and. Well, and, and the that's the thing, right? Because I feel like if your whole shtick is to be hateful, and that's your what what builds your gig is like being a troll. Like to me, is like even the guys who do it politically are not that different. What's that fucking guy's name? The, um, oh Jesus! Uh, you read his yesterday's news. Stephen Miller? No, no, the flamboyant. Um, Jeffrey Epstein? No, what the fuck is his name? Now I. When it comes to scumbags, there's a bunch of them. Milo Sambosha. Oh, or <laughs> I like your word. My, Milo Yiannopoulos, That's right? It. You know, his whole thing, I don't know that he believes one tenth of the shit he said politically, but he was clearly a troll act to a large degree, right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, and people are so mean to me now and they react to my troll act when I try to. Kid. What do you expect? It's it happened like, yesterday. That girl that marches around with a AK-47 dangling off of her. And she went to like an Ohio campus yesterday and was shocked when people were telling her, fuck off and get off our campus and go to hell and yeah, gun nut. It's like, and she was, I was surprised how violent they were. The woman who loves guns was surprised by people reacting violently. And that's what I think is funny, that people are all making a big deal about... You know, people get offended too easily. People react emotionally too much. A, welcome to human nature. Yeah. That just how, you know, you, again, you're, if you want to argue about some utopic thing of what human beings should be like, sure, we could argue in theory, but deal with reality <laughs> first. Yes. So there's that element. And B, I find it funny that it's a very much of a case of like, I can dish it, but I can't take it. Mm-hmm. You, some of these guys say, no, you can say whatever you want to me, it won't bother me. It's like, okay, I got it, because you are stepping in into a troll role. But that's not how it goes. Is you say something to somebody, somebody may react in a way that does get to your nerves. It may not be words that you don't care about. It may be by going after, you know, you built your career on being a troll, I'll go after your career. Is it right? Is it wrong? I'm not even arguing any of that. I'm just saying that's reality. That's how it's going to be. So to be in any way outraged about the guys who are outraged is like, can't you see how you're playing the same game there? It's And in general, you know, I find that the world is a harsh enough place. Life is harsh enough that... In the way I see it, like what you leave behind, your work, your stuff, should be something that also touches human beings, something that helps human beings, something that helps human beings being cooler to one another, something that, and in that sense, even comedy, precisely because I like comedy, because of how it can exorcise drama, how it can, you know, if you, a great joke is the one that's going to make the people who are directly the butt of the joke laugh. Yes. Because they think it's hilarious anyway. And it, in, in, in a way, it helps you transcend tragedy. 
you know, it's tragic, it's awful, but you find a way that is funny about something tragic. Now, that's mastery to me. That's your damn genius, right? Because you take something that's horrendous and is fucking people up emotionally and you find a way to... Now, of course, not everybody's going to react the same way and anytime you go into the danger zone, some people are... But there is a way that, you know, if 80% of people feel uplifted by what you've done rather than most people feeling they are just a dick... There's something to be said about your ability to communicate. Some Kobe jokes would be impressive right now. If you can pull it <laughs> off. You can pull it off. By all means. But that's, again... That's not Yay, joke. he's it's dead. Just, just mean. How the fuck is that even... And he deserved it. Yeah, because that's, that's what he's saying, right? That's what he's saying. Never mind the fact that there are a bunch of other people on the helicopter, including kids and all of that, right? But yeah. it's like... To me, it's like... That's your shtick just throwing out some hateful shit because what it makes you edgy that's your there are real ways to be edgy that don't involve being a dick i'm more interested in those you know edgy in a sense that's in a very different kind of meaning they're not like this shit i couldn't agree more i can't argue with any of that because it's outrageous but i can guarantee you that right now um pissing off some at least some of our listeners of course because when it comes to when it comes to comedy in particular there's this idea that you know anybody should be able to free whatever you want which i agree with okay i'm okay with that part especially Again, lenny bruce and things like that when it was really breaking, I'm only breaking argue, boundaries i'm only arguing with there are consequences that you will deal with not government mandated which there shouldn't be ever but nope. social and response and you know not everybody's gonna laugh at your shit and some people are just the nature of the gig just think 12 years when we're all chained up somewhere for saying what we want to say yeah no it's the same quaint but that's what i mean is like freedom of speech absolutely sacred and an incredible thing yes but again that does not mean that if you go to a Freedom mafia boss and, you know, say, make fun of his family, yeah. he's going to respond well. Your granddaughter is very ugly. Yeah. It's like, okay, my man, That's you had stick. the right to say that. <laughs> now have fun dealing with what comes after that. Yeah. <laughs> and Silvio will be by later this afternoon. <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh, you're so funny. You're so funny. funny. Guy. This, this, this is funny. Yes. Bang. Pretty much. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's my rant on that. That was rantastic. It's been a while since there's been a story time. Dun, dun, dun. Let's have a good one. Who we got today for story time? We got Mr. Bill Richmond. Bill Richmond. Bill Richmond is, I was not aware of his story until the other day, and I'm now desperately trying to find material to see if I can put together a history on fire about him. Ding, dang. Yes, it's just a good tale. Born in 1763 on Staten Island, a black guy born in slavery. By the time he's 13 years old, so there's the beginning of the American Revolution, British forces offer freedom to any enslaved African who escapes slavery and join their side. Which is not a bad deal, considering that what the Americans offer you is more slavery. So it's like, okay, between the two, clearly the British deal is a lot better. So 
13-year-old Richmond decide to split and try his luck with the British army to gain freedom. While he's there, at one point, the tale is that some three British soldiers are picking on him and insulting him and so on, and he promptly beat the living hell out of all three of them. British General Hugh Percy notices this and goes like, huh, this, good, this dude's got character. He's pretty <laughs> solid. I like him. We might be able to use this. So by the time the, the general goes back to England, he decides to bring him along as like a personal valet. And then he actually does something even more radical, which is pay for his education so Whoa. that he can have a formal education. And basically get him a job and all this stuff. And he's like, okay, your ability to KO people went a long way. Now, Richmond, so he's in, as he grows up, he has a life that is nothing like what could be expected considering when he started. You know, you start as a slave in the 1760s and by the 1780s, 1790s, you are just being a free black man in England, married to a British white woman. What? Yeah, so, which of course comes with its problem. And so Richmond keeps... um, uh, along with our idea that words carry consequences, every time people give him shit on the street, he's not too shy about punching them in the mouth. So that's how... <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it works for him. And this is where it gets even weirder. When he's 41 years old, uh, in 1804, he attends a bare-knuckle boxing fight. He's there to watch. And he challenged one of the best fighters of the time in that occasion. He loses the fight, as should be expected, but he does fairly well, and he just loves it. And, you know, he had clearly some natural talent for it and decided, I'm going to be a trainer. Hey, what the hell, why not? Why not a fighter too? Because, yeah, who doesn't start a fighting career when you're 41 years old? That's when they usually start. Yeah, that's not quite the way usually athletics work, but hey. That's the, and one of the things he does is that he, many ways, he changes the sport of boxing. Well, boxing in a loose sense, because Bernacle was a bit different than modern boxing. But, you know, one of the standard things of the time is that you basically, fighters would walk out, stand in the center, go nose to nose, and just keep throwing punches until somebody drops. Wow. He was not the most... dancing around. No, there was no... Defense was uh, seen as a wimpy thing to do. I mean, yeah, you block block with your arm, but there's no escaping evasiveness, movement, any of that. Wow. And Richmond is like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not here to just trade punches like an idiot. I'm going to... So he plays a whole game that's elusive, that's slipping, that plays um, with movement, does things that, of course... The white audience is like, you're a damn coward, da, 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 except that he wins fights. He does really well. And then he, and it's one of those things, by the way, same thing when Jack Johnson much later would use very defensive tactics in the ring. He was considered a coward. When white boxers did the same thing, they were crafty and strategic. Hmm. You know, it was one of those. Isn't that interesting how that works? But Richmond does that. And, uh, you know, he wins a whole bunch of fights. He gained a huge reputation as a result of it. I mean, how cool of a story is that? That's that an amazing story. Insane. I love, you know, especially when you think about British forces, 
would just line up and shoot at each other. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's the same it's mentality. It's almost the same right? mentality for sure. Yeah, just whereas like... Get in there and whoever bashes the other one the best. Whereas the good old guerrilla warfare is I hide under a tree, yeah. I'll wait for your volley to be done, and then I'll snipe one of you, and then I'll hide again. Yeah. You know? I'll wait which for is, your column to get halfway past this, and then we'll pop up and take you out. Which in some way, that's exactly what Richmond was doing, yeah. right? More of... Um, the, the good um, Richmond will end up sparring with Lord Byron, with like he crosses paths wow. with like some crazy figures of the times that again, to a boy born as a slave in 1763 in, on Staten Island. Weren't too many others that lived that life. No, the odds of that path are one in 10 gazillion. And that's what makes this story so wild as to now I want, you know, basically what I told you is pretty much all I know about it. So now I want to do a deep dive to see if there's enough source material there to turn it into a history on fire. Wow. Do you think there is? Don't know. There's only one where way to find stum- out. Where did you stumble onto this? Um, the, that's when sometimes social media comes in handy. People post random articles. And so I find this article that looks credible and then i found that there's a book about it so now i'm gonna go to the library catch the book on it see if it's credible or not see how much material there is and that you know sometimes there are stories that are amazing but there's nothing about it you know oda nobunaga the japanese warlord uh, at one point he had the stories that he had this one guy serving under him was an african samurai how he ended up there what he became in the real historical record, there's like 20 Two lines sentences. about it, yeah. you know? So it's like, then everything is left up in limbo. And so people have, because it's such a cool story, people have made up wild shit, filling in the blanks to try to explain the story. Now, that's a story I can do on History on Fire because it's a great story, but there is no, you know, there's not enough. Shaft, 1722. Yeah, I can't. You know, unfortunately, with History on Fire, I'm not doing a fiction story. I have to do the real deal. So if the real deal is this much, there's nothing for me to run with. Well, maybe it's time for that novel. Right? But totally. And people do stuff like that, and it's cool, and I like it. I have nothing against it. But, you know, for History on Fire, I have to do... So even this is like, I have to look now at this story, separate legend from reality, figure out how much I can dive into it, and if there's enough to chat about it for an hour or some. Fantastic. Have you seen 1917? I have not. It looks like uh, World War One was kind of tough. <laughs> For some reason, and I don't know why, I couldn't, like World War One is one of the things that I'm interested in terms of the repercussion that it has. Yeah. Could not care less in terms of, um, I don't know, doesn't speak to me. It's just not one well, thing that just, I relate to. pure badness. Yeah, I think it just feels... Like the idea that somebody would stick to being in the trenches and not run for their life and rather run the risk of being shot than doing that. It's such a foreign thing to me in so many ways that I, I don't know, I find, you know, it's like with everything. Sometimes in history you're attracted to, some other ages in history you don't care for. Uh, then something happens that turn your interest on. Like growing up in Italy, because I was bombarded with Roman shit all the time, I didn't care about Roman history. Then I watched HBO's Rome, and I was like, Roman history, let's go. <laughs> this been is waiting awesome. for me all this time. Yeah, now I saw how it was cool. Well, you know? I, yeah. World Italy War was one, uh, definitely involved in World War I. Yeah, World War I, I didn't. That's where Hemingway was hanging out. 
Yeah, driving his ambulance. Yeah, but you know, I'm going Rome, ancient Roman history. No, no, you know? no. I just even like when I listen to Dan's uh, Dan Carlin's famous series Blueprint for Armageddon, yeah, I was yeah. like, eh, it's not, I, I understand he's a great job. He's doing a really good job. I just not my no. I totally understand age. But bland and terrible. The mechanization of war was a terrible moment. Yeah, that's rough. I haven't seen so. the Peter Jackson thing. That I haven't did. seen that either. I'm going to check that out. I just want to see it. Because yeah. apparently, I think one of the oldest pieces of film there is, is a train rolling into a station. It may have been George Mies, but it was like French train. Really? It's always been flickery and shitty and cracked and terrible. And somebody's put like a full modern computer-assisted um, remastering of it. And it's almost haunting. I bet. Because lots of crazy mustaches and weird clothes. And, I bet. I mean, I'm certainly we could chat with them, but what they were from and where we are now is so different. I mean, I think World War One does make the modern world in a lot of ways. So in terms of its importance, it cannot be understated. Definitely rewrote the maps. Yeah, but in terms of relating to emotionally, it's not one of my spots you know is uh, so again i'm sure there's great material about it i'm sure people can get a lot out of it out of all the things i want to look at in history world one is not one of the big ones for me well the film's pretty cool i thought that, and the fact that it's literally single shot yeah i bet was an impressive thing too i bet and uh you might be shocked but it was kind of depressing Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken House Podcast. Wow, we had Jim Jones, John Brown. Yep. A wild collection. Bill Richmond, Bill the boxer. Yeah, there's a whole Jack lot. Johnson stopped by? Yep. Not bad. Not That's bad. a pretty good collection. And, yep. and people with bad taste in comedy. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you use, on that seamless transition, I would say, <laughs> if you use Amazon for any shopping, please use our link. It helps a whole bunch. Whether it's to get books about any of the subjects discussed or anything else in life including that 64 inch tv that you badly need on out of which we do need a cut mm. um yes please use our amazon link it's always appreciated a cut that costs nothing extra to you it's coming out of jeff bezos wallet He's, which he, he likes helping us out How about yes that? that's the way to go <laughs> Uh, let's say a quick thank you to a few, not many because we are recorded recently, but a few folks who have supported us. So. Excellent. Let the pottering begin. Let's say thank you to Pat Hartman, Andre Garapetian, Lisa Robles, Aistis Juska, Nicola Togni, Samuele Rudelli. Excellent. Thank you so much, everybody. You guys are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to join, this is a list of sweet folks who help keep us in business. All you got to do is PayPal us, and we'll love you for it. Yeah, it's a nice donate button to make it easy for you. Yeah, even if you never donate, you just want to do once a year or once every so often, you know, throwing five bucks once a year to somebody is not going to kill you. It helps uh, the show a bunch, so deeply appreciated. Kiva.org continues to grow. We're approaching $150,000 in loans from your fellow listeners. Come on and join Team Drunken Dallas as we break numbers I never dreamed of in um, helping folks around the world. And uh, it's just a good thing. It make you feel good. Absolutely. 
and uh, thank you to Daisy House for the music. And I think that's a wrap. See you next time. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! In questo cazzo, in questo caso le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. Completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about. translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> sorry. Well. <coughs> We'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> That's a bit too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. Why?